Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. <laughs> Heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. All right, another loaded episode for you today. K.J. Adams Jr. of the Kansas basketball team going to join us to talk about that win over Duke and where the team is at in his eyes three games into this season. We'll also talk to Michael Swain of 24-7 Sports. He covers Kansas for 24-7 Sports, does a fantastic job. And uh, both of those guys give just absolutely tremendous interviews that I think you're really going to enjoy But first, I want to start with the Duke game from Tuesday night. KU winning that game and winning the way they did was kind of like like passing the first test in the first semester of your freshman Econ 101 class. You know what a depreciating asset is now. Congratulations. You need to know that, but I wouldn't necessarily say you're fast-tracking your weight at the Dean's List. Let's just start with early observations in the game. Uh, This team moves the ball extremely fast. I don't know if they move it well all the time, but they move it fast. The ball doesn't seem to stick. And I think in a way that, 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 that is an attempt to overcome the fact that they don't have a ton of offensive chemistry yet, which is what you would sort of expect for a team that hasn't played a ton together. Jay Billis even mentioned this early in the broadcast. Kevin McCuller's activity level defensively is unbelievable. It He is an invaluable piece to this team. Go just anytime you watch. You can go back, watch the Duke game, or just watch him uh, any game. Just watch him for five minutes. Don't watch anybody else on the court. Just watch Kevin McCuller. It is so impressive. That steal that he had, the play where he is backpedaling in transition versus Duke, He steals the ball from Kyle Filipowski as he's falling backwards out of bounds. That is a next level play that I don't know anybody else in college basketball can make. I thought that Duke played a little soft offensively early. I'm not sure they were expecting Kansas to provide that much of a test defensively. KJ and and Jalen were just sort of walling them up. Now, 
<laughs> there was also maybe more charges than I've ever seen in a college basketball game. I've never seen Kansas take that many charges. I'll tell you that. I believe there were six total in the first half, which, you know, those are a lot of times bang, bang plays and easily could have went the other way. I'm sure Duke wishes a few of them had, but that is going to make your defense look that much better. But it also made Duke just look like they were out of sorts offensively in the first half. I'll tell you what, one thing about KJ Adams, he's not going to get a ton of credit, but he held his own defensively throughout that game, which is really impressive considering, I mean, at six, seven, he's giving up nearly half a foot to whoever he was guarding out there. I thought that was really impressive. The other thing that stood out to me early and late did it twice. Grady Dick, his layup package is sick. He gets a lot of attention and will get a lot of attention for being a shooter, which he should. It's justified. It's warranted, but he is an incredible finisher at the rim, the sort of windmill. I mean, it's just the length combined with, it's not just the length, it's the sneaky length, right? He's 6'8", he's long arms, but he's also sneaky athletic. And of course, he fits the criteria for being sneaky athletic. It's a very specific criteria that I'm sure you know what it is. I don't think he, he got enough credit or gets enough credit for the fact that he is a really strong finisher around the rim and avoiding contact, avoiding rim protectors and finding a way to get shots up. Uh, he's more than just a shooter and he showcased that against Duke. A lot changed in the second half of that game. Duke really seemed to tighten the screws defensively. And I, I think a lot of that was face guarding Grady Dick. A lot of that was also just being in more half court sets, which I think we kind of knew going into the game. That's where KU may get exposed a little bit. And they did. In the second half, nobody could get any looks. The driving lanes weren't there with the exception of Jalen Wilson, which I want to talk about in a second. Ernest Duda didn't play great, didn't play a ton. Uh, He had a really bad stretch in that second half, and he just looks out of position a lot defensively. You know, somebody was asking me uh, about KJ Adams on Twitter on Thursday and said, you know, but can he... Can he defend a traditional five? He's, he's been really good. His activity level's high. Can he defend a traditional five? I don't know the answer to that, but I don't know anybody else on this roster that can defend a traditional five either. I saw Ernest Duday in there, and he just kind of got out of sorts. He would overhelp. He didn't know what to do on a lot of pick-and-roll situations, and that's how Duke kind of got their offense going there in the second half. But Jalen was just making big buckets. That guy has absolutely no fear. He single-handedly kept KU in that game offensively, driving downhill, getting into the teeth of the defense, and just had some really strong finishes at the rim. KU as a team couldn't buy a jump shot. Neither team really could. There were probably a few too many contested mid-range jumpers from Kevin McCuller. For my preference, that's just me, though. Other people may like those shots. Uh, I don't, I'm not the anti-mid-range guy. I think if they're there, you have to take them depending on if they're in rhythm and things like that. But uh, there were a few times where McCuller, not necessarily late game shot clock, but he just thought he would step into a couple of those. Uh, I don't think that's going to be KU's bread and butter offensively this year. Grady Dick was obviously awesome down the stretch. You know, for a freshman to come in like that, where he hadn't taken a shot, he was hardly getting any touches in the second half because Duke was just face guarding him. Right. You can say he he wasn't asserting himself and there's probably something to that, but that comes with being a freshman where defense is keying on you. They're trying to take you out of the game. 
Junior, senior probably gets involved a little bit more. Freshman maybe takes a more passive approach, says, hey, they're keying on me. They're not letting me get touches. So I guess that means it's going to open up opportunities for other guys, which I guess it did, especially late. But for him to go through that for most of the second half and then come in 220 left in the game and score seven points in what, the next 72 seconds? That's that is poise from a freshman, from a 17-year-old that you just do not see. He's going to have some impressive stat lines this year, but I don't know that he'll have a more impressive stretch in a moment like that against Duke on a national stage. This guy's built for it. He's just built for it. There will be quiet nights. There will be nights where maybe he looks a little invisible like he did in the early parts of that second half, but he can score in bunches, and when he does... It provides an energy to this team that I don't think anybody else can really bring to the table. As good as great he was, Dewan Harris, holy shit, he won Kansas that game. Think about the last stretch, and, and Grady was involved on some of these plays, but this is what Dewan Harris did down the stretch. He gets the assist to Grady on the alley-oop, where Grady cuts baseline and he sort of just lobs it up to him. Two possessions later, after Roach makes the three, two possessions later, he comes back, takes a charge, and then he hits KJ for the and one that basically iced the game. Dewan is just a fucking dog. He is a dog. He took over the national championship game in the second half with his defense. Now he's doing that defensively, plus he's completely orchestrating the Kansas offense, and he's doing it pretty flawlessly. I mean, he still does and will have limitations. And this Kansas offense is very far from a finished product. They've got some issues they're going to have to work through. But Dewan Harris has been incredible. It may have taken him a little bit longer, but I think he's finally going to start getting his flowers from KU fans and national media as well. 23 assists and two turnovers for Dewan Harris in three games this year. That is just astounding numbers for a guy who is pretty seamlessly stepping into being the guy alongside with Jalen Wilson. Okay. So big picture stuff. Where does it leave us after this game? Champions Classic is funny because you go into it knowing it's a big matchup. It's a barometer to see where you land, but you come away from it trying to figure out, okay, what did we learn? What changed? Where is this team at? And a lot of times that stuff's sort of nonsensical because even if you lose the game, everything's right in front of you. And even if you win the game like Kansas did, uh, you don't really feel any differently about this team. Does anybody? Does anybody feel any differently about Kansas or any of these individual players after the game? Maybe it reinforces some of the preconceived biases that you had going in. Like if you thought Grady Dick was a star, you got that. If you thought Dewan Harris was one of the best point guards in the country or that Harris and McCuller were one of the best defensive backcourts in the country, all of that was validated. That Jalen Wilson can be an All-American, all of it was validated, but none of that stuff didn't already exist before the game started. I will say this about Jalen. He is doing everything for this team. It's early in the season, but while everybody else is finding their footing and figuring out where they fit offensively, right? If we're just focusing on offense, Jalen's doing everything for this team. He goes 0 for 7 from 3, still finishes with 25, 11, and 5. If he made two or three threes instead of going 0 for, we're talking about him having a 30 plus point night and all of a sudden, National Player of the Year frontrunner. He's already up near the top. In that game, he went from 36 to 1 to 12 to 1 to win National Player of the Year. And if KU's going to rely upon him to that extent, 
He's going to continue to put up big, big numbers. He's doing a lot, but it's too much. Nothing against him. He's not doing anything wrong. It's more of an indictment on other guys not quite kicking as much into that bucket. And it just comes down to scoring. He's taking almost 36% of shots for KU when he's on the floor. That is an insane number. 36% of all shots when he is on the floor. Just to give you some context, like if you think about the guys that close your eyes and think about the Kansas players who like took the lion's share of the shots, guys who took more shots than anybody else in recent memory. The two names that come to mind for me, Thomas Robinson, 2012, and Sharon Collins, 2009, the year after the national championship, when it was basically those both of those respective teams, it was them doing everything and then other guys sort of chipping in. Those guys both took 30% of shots that year, 30% of shots while they were on the floor. Jalen Wilson is at 36%. It is not sustainable. It's great that he is being productive with those shots. And I don't think if he takes seven threes every night, he's going to have many more of those over nights. But what he's doing right now, just in context of volume and how much they're relying upon him is, is a little startling. And I'd imagine that's going to correct itself either naturally or by design throughout the course of the season. I do think there are big questions about what this team is going to do down low. Uh, you don't know what that rotation is going to look like quite yet. Ernest doesn't quite look like he's there. Zuby's in the same spot. I thought Zuby Edgefer came in and gave some really quality minutes, but the thing that's going to keep both those guys up the court is what's great is you see the size, the length, the athleticism, the ability to finish around the basket, but it's just assignment defensively, offensively. Do you know where you're supposed to be? Are you fucking things up for the other guys on the court? Because that's one thing that KJ is not doing. He has limitations because of his size, He's also really damn strong and he can jump really damn high and that's not going to make up for everything. But how many other teams is KU going to play this year where you can roll out two or three seven footers? Duke's the only team in the country who has that. KJ is going to play a bigger role. I agree with the people who say that this team's highest ceiling probably falls with Ernest being out there. But right now he looks a step or two behind just in terms of being comfortable and knowing what's expected of him. The main lineup that they've been rolling out the starting five with Dewan, McCuller, Grady, Jalen, and KJ. That lineup defensively has so much versatility because they can switch on everything. KJ, even though he's not a traditional big, he provides you with an invaluable trait defensively in that he can guard a four. He can guard a point guard because he's athletic. He moves his feet well. He's got that ability to give Kansas so much defensive versatility. So even if Ernest ends up being the guy who starts for this team, that right there is going to be a reason why KJ is going to play. He's going to play a lot and he's going to play a lot all season long. Grady's going to be the swing guy. He's the only one that you may have some questions about defensively. I don't know where this narrative came from, from national dudes saying that he got cooked by Proctor and Mark Mitchell in the second half. It's just not true. You can go back and watch it. There was one play early in the half where Proctor had that sort of weird half turnaround fadeaway jumper. Like, good luck defending that. If guys are making that, then they're just making that. There was another time where Grady and Ernest sort of got mixed up on a pick and roll and it ended up being a wide open dunk at the rim. So you can nitpick a little bit, but the idea that Grady was getting cooked out there, it's just not true. He does have a ways to go being an on-ball defender, but the activity level off the ball He's right up there with everybody else. That seems to be the one thing, the one thing 
that I would, uh, that I would hang my hat on or feel most confident on saying that is going to persist all season long with this team is that activity level defensively is something that I haven't quite seen under Bill Self. There have been better individual defenders, teams with better uh, rim protection, but the activity level of which these guys are buying in to that being their identity, that's something to monitor because if that's the way they're going to play defense with that level of intensity all year long, this team is going to be every bit of a title contender as they were last year. KJ Adams Jr., sophomore big man for the Kansas basketball team. Maybe the biggest shoulders in Division One college basketball. I don't know. Let's just start with the team. Are you the strongest guy on the team? Uh, hopefully. Uh, I'm competing right now with Joe Yesifu, so hopefully hopefully, I have that title. <laughs> really? Just pound for pound. Joe's up there, huh? He's up there for sure. Okay. Shoulder press, you got to be number one, right? Those things are massive. Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. In all seriousness, though. You're a big guy, six seven. So you're going up. I mean, Duke was the perfect example. They got seven footers all over the floor. When you're giving up height, how much does your strong frame, does that strength sort of help you maybe narrow the gap between the size advantage that, that taller guys have? Well, that's really only the only thing that can uh, kind of close the gap is being stronger than other guys because a lot of the tall guys are kind of skinny. So that's the only thing I have up with them, me and Jay will. So when, when they try to post us down, that's the only thing that can help us because we don't have our, uh, our link. So just putting a body on them, just kind of out strong them, out toughing them. It's really the only thing that can help during those situations. Early in that game, it seemed like maybe they weren't ready for the physicality that you guys were playing with defensively talking about what you just said walling up. Was that something that, that you guys knew you were going to have to take advantage of going into that game? Well, yeah, of course, when we don't have Ernest in and we have me at the five, that's really the only thing that the only way we can play if we want to stay in the game. And after we do that, just try to play with speed because coach, coach was always says that speed is going to beat size every time if you use it. So that's what we kind of did. Just uh, play hard and play strong and then uh, beat them with speed in the game. How validating was it knowing that Dukes, I mean, at least down low, they've got more big bodies. They've got as talented big guys as anybody in the country. How validating was it for you personally, you know, to be able to kind of go toe to toe with uh, with Duke on Tuesday? I think it was good just showing everybody that I, I'm I'm capable of guarding big guys like that, even though that I have a uh, a height advantage. I think people needed to see that last night. And I think that was good for me just to show everybody that I have that in my game to hold my own, especially against really big guys like that. What's your vert? When's the last time you tested the vertical? I think we tested it during the summer. I think it was, I can't, I don't want to say it wrong, but I think it was like 43 something. I don't remember. <laughs> that's pretty good. That's pretty impressive. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, that's how you make up for it. Strength and strength yeah. and athleticism. How about just the game in general? The Champions Classic always is fun. And sort of season kickoff and you guys get to see sort of where you stand against another really good basketball team. Do you felt like you proved anything to yourselves and to the college basketball country on Tuesday? I think we did because a lot of people are saying that we're we're a young team and we lost people, a lot of people last year. So it's just a good thing to reassure the Kansas fans that we're still here and we're, we're ready to compete against anyone. It doesn't matter like who it is. We're still ready to compete and just 
hold the Kansas name. So I think it, it was just a good confidence booster for us to just play our game and just know that we'll, we'll be good this season. What's the biggest sort of obstacle to overcome sort of moving past what you guys accomplished last year and sort of paving your own path for this season? Well, believe it or not, it was like that last year with me and Bobby and all like the newcomers coming last year because it was all of the guys that just came here and four-year guys, five-year guys that know all the players, know everything and have a lot of experience. So it's a big gap every year. I feel like in this year it's going to be a gap too because we we'll only have two guys on our team that's played in a big national championship stage with the exception with me and Joe for two minutes. So just kind of mixing those experiences together and kind of making it our own, even though the guys are still getting more experience, just showing them what to expect so they don't get freaked out when they get into those big stages and you know, have to know these plays and stuff like that. Do you get a sense for what this team's identity can be. I know sometimes that can take, you know, months into a season before you figure out, okay, this is who we are. This is how we're going to win basketball games. But have you gotten a feel for what that might be with this group? I think, well, coach was talking about this today, but like sometimes you got to win ugly, like with defense, just play defense. And because a lot of offenses are not going to be prepared and look as good as they're going to do in the end of season. So I think our defense is not really going to go anywhere. I think our defense is always going to win us games during the season. So just playing hard, no basketball, and just getting to the rim and playing defense. I know we haven't got really to the rim this much this season and shot a lot of free throws, but just getting to the rim and just playing a lot of hard-nosed defense, I think it's going to be a really a good identity for us this year. Specifically in the first half, it feels like the activity level defensively is just insanely high right now. Everybody's sort of running around, making plays, diving for loose balls, making those hustle plays. I don't know how much you guys have went over the game last night with the coaching staff, but uh, were they pleased with the defensive effort that you guys gave against yeah. them? They were, they were all surprised because we, our team, we really don't take really that many charges, especially last year. So yeah. when we saw a lot of bodies flying around last year, I think, Maybe the Kevin from Texas Tech syndrome came came to our team and everybody started taking charges now. But Kevin helps out a lot and Dewan Dewan helps with that a lot because he's always around the court. Kevin, he's always known for doing that, especially last year with Texas Tech. I mean, those might be two of the top five defensive guards in the country. I think this might be the best defensive backcourt in college basketball. What does that do for you guys on the back end when you know you've got these two guards who can pressure and sort of create havoc and keep their men in front of them? How does that affect you guys? Well, it makes everything for us easier, me and me and Jalen and Grady, because if they see us getting butchered down low in the post, they're going to bluff and help. So it puts pressure on them. So it makes us easier for us to guard. Ultimately, the team uh, ultimately guard better together because we're always helping each other. We're always bluffing the next man. So with their hand quickness, both of them together on the same court, it's really it's really a good good combination where you're all playing together on the same page. I'm sure you notice this, like guys who aren't scoring a ton, they maybe don't get as much notoriety or mo- as, as much publicity. And Dewan's probably the, the best example of that, right? He started all the, every game last year. He's playing 35, 40 minutes some nights. And because it would be Ochai or Christian with the, with the big scoring outputs, he would sort of be the the guy who you'd get to after you got to those guys. Now he's he's a leader on this team, and 
it seems like he has got this this steadying presence, this poise that it seems to resonate. What 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 kind of effect has has he had? How, what, what's your sort of assessment as to you know how he affects the team and what you've seen from him this year? It's really everything because he's he's just always had that poise even during practice. In the practice, he he plays the same exact way when he's in the game. So we really know what we're going to get out of out of one. So it really it helps us calm down. And people were getting on him last year because he didn't score, but he's doing the same thing he's doing last year. Now it's just you can see it more because he's a bigger leader this year. So I think that helps a lot to just show people that what he's doing has a huge impact on the game. Okay, so I don't know how often you go against Juan in practice, but I'm always impressed by how someone at his size can score so efficiently at the rim, whether it's the floater. And it always feels like he's able to just like he's slippery, like he'll sort of get around somebody and finish with these high floaters off the glass. How is he able at his size to be so effective down low? I think he just has a really good feel for the game. He always talks about how he's really, really, really good at basketball smart. So he knows how to finish a layup or do different moves. So it's it's really hard to block any shot he had. I don't think I've blocked him one time because <laughs> he knows how to get the ball just right by my fingertips so he can just go off the backboard really smoothly and get in. So I don't know. He just has that feel and he's really basketball smart. The game was kind of tight down the stretch uh, on Tuesday and neither team could buy a bucket. I think at one point the two teams were like four for 35 from three. And it was tight with about two and a half to go. Grady comes back in. He hits that three. And then all of a sudden you guys go on a run. And it felt like the momentum of that game immediately changed. Was there something about seeing the lid come off the basket or the energy that he provided when he came back in with about two and a half minutes left that sort of helped you guys close that game out? Yeah, I think Grady was just a little idle for a little bit of the game. So to see him make that three and get hyped, I think that brought the whole team up. And especially having Jalen Wilson and Kevin get their energy back up, I think it just spurred it for the whole game. Because even though I think they uh, wrote shot at three after that and made that, our energy was still up. So I think they were wearing down a little bit. And I think as the game gone on and we had that little energy spur, I think it just came at the right time. All right, I'll let you go with this. What's sort of the the one thing or the one area that you guys feel like you need to focus on right now that you, that you want to improve on? over the next couple of weeks? I think just getting the ball moving. Um, I feel like a lot of times we're stagnant and some of the plays didn't go as well as with timing-wise. I think just getting the ball movement, ball moving more and just just trusting our offensive abilities with other, other our teammates and just getting really good at getting to our sets and scoring off them. KJ Adams Jr., hey, love watching you play, man. Love the energy, the motor. It's fantastic. Uh, congrats again on the win, and uh, thanks for the time, man. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Michael Swain covers Kansas athletics for 24 seven sports. And Michael, I appreciate you hopping on with me. Obviously a lot to discuss this time of year, starting with KU basketball. They get the win over Duke in the champions classic in what was a highly entertaining game. I wasn't really sure how that thing was going to go, but for 40 minutes, I mean, you were sort of glued to the edge of your seat, seeing how that one was going to go. And then you were also treated to, an incredible finish the way that KU kind of closed it out with Grady Dick all in all, uh, did anything about how that game played out for Kansas surprise you? 
Not really. And I think that's almost a surprising part of it because I think you think about the champions classic games of the past and you think of Quentin Grimes going off from three and maybe that's surprising you or just how bad KU was against Kentucky in that 2017-18 season before they went on to go to the final four. And I felt like this game was very much in line with the concerns that you had about Kansas and also in line with what you thought was going to be some of the strengths. And I thought that kind of played out over the course of 40 minutes where you saw what KU looks like when they're really humming. And I think you saw what happens when maybe KU's on the back foot. And so it's hard to maybe say what surprised me, maybe a little bit of Zuby edge four minutes. I thought in terms of actual surprises that I was like, Oh, I didn't expect that. Like I didn't expect him to be the guy that was playing coming out of under four timeout and producing, you know, he still looks lost offensively, but I think overall it's just one of those games where it reinforced the idea that, Hey, Kansas is going to be really good defensively. They're going to get out in transition. That's going to spark a lot of offense for him. But defensive rebounding is going to be an issue with KJ Adams on the floor at the five. Three point shooting is not going to be a huge strength. I do think that the arena that they played in has not historically been good for Kansas shooting wise. I think last time they played uh, Kentucky there, they shot like 20% from three. But I think overall, maybe more so reinforced a lot of the thoughts that you had about Kansas, which I feel like in most Champions Classic years, you end up leaving the game being like, well, is that really what Kansas is going to be this year? Where I feel like on, you know, yesterday it's like, yeah, that's what Kansas is going to be. So you touched on the bigs there, um, the defensive rebounding when KJ's in the game and KJ led all the bigs with 20 minutes. And I thought that there was a chance this may be the game where you see Ernest sort of take over that spot, but Mm. clearly there's still a lot with him that is going to, that he's going to have to work through if he's going to earn those minutes. So KJ was sort of the dude. That's why Zuby got the minutes. He, that was just by proxy. It's like, okay, Ernest, you're not getting the run tonight. So who's next up? Zuby, come Mm -hmm. on in. All right. I am a, I don't know if I'm, if I would call myself a KJ Adams truther because I understand the limitations that come with him being your five man. And we saw that for that stretch in the second half where Filipowski kind of took over Inside, down low, offensive rebounding, putbacks, guys getting out of position and him sort of using that size. I don't know why they didn't do that for 40 minutes, but uh, I guess that's a different conversation. With KJ, though, I went back to look at the numbers afterwards. I was like, man, he must have had a good game. He, I th- he must have had like three or four blocks in that one. He, he was getting a bunch of loose balls, a bunch of steals. He finishes the game with eight points, two rebounds, two assists, two blocks, and a steal yet for whatever reason, I'm still left being very impressed with the way that he plays. What's your sort of scout on, on KJ? Are you judging by the groan and the side eye that you're giving me? I feel like you're on the opposite end of the spectrum with him. I am. I feel like you have to tailor the way you play to KJ. And I think it's going to be different than what maybe K wants to do with someone like Zuby or Ernest in the game. And I think for me, when I look at KJ, what does he bring you offensively? Not really going to space the floor, not really going to get a post presence from him. There's some lob threat, but if do you, you're do you get post uh, presence um, from any of the bigs right now, though, like you're not oh, going to no, post and, up and that's kind of, I think that's, that's the big picture issue with the centers right now is nobody's like, I could not tell you, Nick, the last time I saw a post up, I genuinely cannot. I've watched all three games, the scrimmage, even back to the secret scrimmage that they did against Illinois. I have not heard of any consistent post-up plays. And so I think obviously this team's going to be a pick and roll lob type of team. 
And that does fit a little bit of what KJ does. I just, for me, I look at what he brings and it's going to put a lot of pressure on, you know, Jalen Wilson to be a really, really good defensive rebounder. You know, Kevin McCuller, Dewan Harris, Grady Dick, anyone that comes in is going to have to work extra hard on the defensive glass because KJ Adams is out there. And I don't think he's kind of your traditional out of area rebounder that Bill Self wants with a lot of his teams. And I think I thought he was good last night. Um, I still, when I watch him, it's just not pretty. And maybe that does him a disservice saying that it doesn't look good when he does it. You know, he has a couple of those floaters and they kind of like roll around the rim and it's not pure. Mm -hmm. And maybe that impacts the way you view him when you look at the stats and it's like, you know what, that's actually not bad. 20 minutes, you get eight points. I think for me, the the passing is one of the things that has impressed me from KJ. I think maybe it was the Omaha game where he was in the low post and all of a sudden finds someone at the top of the key was wide open. And I think there was a pass early in the game on Tuesday night where we found Juan Harris who was cutting. I think that's something that maybe KU can lean on a little bit more with him with guys like McCullough and Wilson and Grady Dick who can cut and slash. To that point, to that point, this is why KJ is going to play all year. He may not be the leading big, but you know what he's not going to do that you can't say about any of the other bigs. He's not going to fuck things up for everybody else on the court. And that is the best thing he has going for. Exactly. Exactly. And I mean, I'm sure we'll talk about Ernest because my God, it's, it's one of those things where what does Bill Self want guys that don't make mistakes and KJ really doesn't make many mistakes. He Mm -hmm. turns the ball over a little bit, but man, I've so does everyone else on the team right now, you know? So I just, I look at KJ, it's not pretty. And maybe it's me watching these Bill Self teams and they play a certain way and thinking, can they play that way with KJ? And probably not. And you want to know what Bill Self's going to adapt. And it's, they've already shown that, in practices and with the way that they're playing right now, they are adapting because there's no post-ups. There's not as much of the the set plays for post-ups that you saw. And they're finding different ways to use those big men. So they're, they're, they're not, you know, square peg in a round hole for lack of a better term. Yeah. So Ernest is the guy like we, like we let off with that. I think everybody's sort of waiting. Everybody's sort yeah. of waiting for the moment where he takes over. He's the top rated Big guy in this class from a talent perspective, from a potential perspective, he is number one on that list. But Duke sort of took over the game with him in, which is funny because we know what Bill Self likes from big guys. You want rim protection. He's easily your best rim protection. He had four blocks last night, but it didn't really matter because nothing else was working for him. That was the biggest question, I think, for a lot of people entering this season is how is this big man rotation going to shake out? And I don't really think we've We've gotten any answers through three games, but you got to mm-hmm. test. You got to test against probably as talented as a front court. I don't know if it's going to end up being the best front court in the country in Duke, but with the bodies, the the high profile recruits, the size, the the, the skill set, like that's about as tough of a test as you're going to face. And they're only going to get better by season's end. But th- th- those questions about okay, is there ever going to be a guy in that in that in that group of big men? that you're going to be able to give the ball to with his back to the basket and have him make a play and try and get you to, I get it's only three games in. I don't think that's ever going to be on mm-hmm. the table for this team offensively. No, it's not. It's not. And that's not who Ernest is. And I, I think maybe if you're going to pick one of the three, maybe Zuby is that guy, but golly, I mean, even for Zuby, you watch him sometimes and you're like, all right, just take a deep breath figure out what you're going to do. And then like, don't run around like a chicken with your head cut off. Cause I think it, he looked like that at times mm-hmm. offensively, but with Ernest, I think for me, maybe the most striking part about Tuesday was I think he went into the game thinking I'm going to dominate. 
And I think he went in wanting to make a lot of plays. And I think after he had some nice blocks in his first stint, I think in his head, maybe he thought, all right, this is my time. I'm going to do this. And then all of a sudden you see kind of that over pursuing that drives Bill self crazy where you've got a guy going to the rim and maybe Jalen's in front of him, but then Ernest comes into like double team, but try and block. And then all of a sudden, you know, a big man's open on the other end and is he, you know, easy offensive rebound to put back or lob or something like that. And so I think for Ernest, it's going to be, there's going to be a learning curve because he's raw. You've seen the flashes, but it's very specific. When Ernest has looked good, it's off of lobs from Bobby Pettiford, from Juan Harris, off of pick and rolls outside of that. There's not a whole lot of refinement to his game right now. And I think he's going to be one of these guys that two, maybe three years from now, we're talking about being kind of that big man that bill self wants. But I just think for this year, it's too soon and there are going to be growing pains. And I think almost you look at someone like Zach Clements and the lack of playing time, obviously he hurt his nose and didn't play on Tuesday, but that's kind of a player there that you're like, man, you should be a step further than where these guys are right now. And yet he's the really the, the fourth guy on the depth chart, you know, at center. So without that, without, without big guys down low, at least in the traditional sense, the way Bill self likes to play big guys, it means you're going to have to make up for that elsewhere because we know one non-negotiable with self is you're going to get shots at the rim. Now, the mm-hmm. easiest way to do that is have a super efficient big man like Yudoka Azubuki. You can just turn around one step and dunk it, but this team's not going to have that yet. You, know, you go back to last night, Jalen Wilson, Dewan Harris, like both of those guys are really, really good, crafty around the rim. Jalen had a couple of really strong finishes through contact last night, whereas Dewan's just a little bit more slippery coming around screens and sort of manipulating things to, to get those little finger rolls. He's impressive mm-hmm. as well. How sustainable is that? How sustainable is KU being able to manufacture shots in the half court? All right, we'll talk about their defense and, and transition opportunities in a bit, but in the half court, how sustainable is getting shots down low the way we saw on Tuesday versus Duke, where it's just basically guys trying to create those driving lanes and, and scoring downhill like that? I think that's a big question. I think that's kind of the, the determining factor in what the ceiling is for this Kansas team because you go into big 12 play and there's going to be a lot of no middle defense, right? And it's going to be a lot of forcing you to one side and then really kind of almost trapping to some degree is what you see from teams like Texas, Texas tech. It's going to be hard and they're going to have to be very creative because by the time big 12 play comes around, there's going to be a, a you know, there, there is already a, a thick book for Jalen Wilson. That book is going to get even thicker as Bill Self and this coaching staff tries to scheme up ways to get easy baskets around the rim. And I think it's going to be challenging. Greedy Dick's not going to get those backdoor lobs and cuts in Big 12 play because there's going to be a scout and the guys are going to be locked in on the other team and not allowing that to happen. That for me is the concerning part. I don't know what is the what is the thing they can go to when the other team is on a run to stop the run and stop the bleeding and get things back on track. What is that? Right. You mentioned there's no post up right now. It's really a Jalen Wilson drive to the basket. Well, what happens when he drives the basket and he's got a guy right in front of him and then a big man coming to help as well. That's going to be really challenging. And I think that's where you're going to see Bill self kind of dip into his bag for lack of a better term and, and try and pull some stuff out and find ways to create some of those one on mismatches where maybe KJ Adams playing on the perimeter does create that that space in the paint 
And I think that's probably why you're seeing KJ play a little bit more early on is trying to tweak that and get a feel for, Hey, if KJ's playing on the perimeter, what does this look like? Because I think for me going into the season, I thought Zach Clements, right? It makes perfect sense. You have a three point shooting big man, right? You're going to draw the other team out. And then there's a ton of space to hit the, the pain on backdoor cuts and just straight drives to the rim. Well, you've got three guys that can't shoot threes now playing as your three big men. It's a big challenge. And yeah. I think you're really going to see Bill Self make his money in Big 12 play because of that. And I think so far what they've sort of done to mask whatever inefficiencies they have on offense is by being really active defensively. I'm not, mm-hmm. I don't know how far I'm willing to go quite yet because I'm trying not to, I'm trying not to say anything too dramatic three games into the season, but dude, without a rim protector, without a true rim protector, this team had 13 block shots, 13 block shots against Duke. And if you would have told me that going into the game, looking at the size that Duke has and, and t- telling me that KJ Adams was going to play 20 minutes, this team would have that many blocks. I thought specifically in the first half, and, and we saw it maybe not as, it wasn't as consistent in the second half, but we saw stretches of it. Mm-hmm. That was one of the more impressive defensive performances I can remember in recent history for Kansas. And it was just activity level. It was everybody being involved, hustling. Kevin McCullers, it, Kevin McCullers right there. Dewan Harris is right there. I thought I thought KJ was really good as well, but every, nobody's standing around on defense. Nobody's mm-hmm. waiting for somebody else to do something. We've seen Joe Yesufu make a couple of those plays even, and that's not something that you would really talk about with his game. How, how good, uh, what, what's this team's ceiling? defensively because at least through three games that seems to be something that a they've bought in on and b Mm -hmm. might be the best answer that i have for what their identity is going to be this year which is just making life hell for the other team's ball handlers yeah a really easy way to negate not having a shot blocker is not letting the other team get to the rim and i think that's kind of what you've seen so far is even grady dick i mean he got cooked a little bit there um, and had to sit, but even someone like Grady Dick is out here, active hands in the passing lane, not getting blown by super easy. And then all of a sudden you bring in Kevin McCullough and Juwan Harris, who I think if you're going to pick defensive backcourts, probably the best in the conference, one of the best in the country period. Yeah. So you've got a formula there to negate some of the rim protection issues that you have now. In terms of the big picture comparing his past teams, I don't know if this is 2020. Like that's that I don't know about that, right? Because you had Asbuki in the center. That was really the sure. the ultimate. Okay, cool. You got by, you know, Devon. Well, it doesn't really matter because Doke's there, right? I don't think it's gonna be at that level, but I think this will be one of the better defensive teams, specifically on the perimeter. That I think Bill Self has had, at least in recent memory. Yeah, I well, just think you over- talk, so like with 2020 though, and you can go back yeah. even like 2012 with, with Jeff Withy. With Withy, yeah. Exactly. That's sort of been the formula, which is mm-hmm. guards can play more aggressive on the perimeter because if they wanna if they wanna, you know, be aggressive and go for steals and they end up letting their man buy him, you've got the eraser down low. This team doesn't have that, but I feel like they've got four guys to to a, to a lesser extent that are all going to kind of do their part and chip in, which you don't see that very often. You have to have the bodies, but you also have to have guys who like actually want to commit to doing it. Exactly. And I think Jalen Wilson is an important piece here because how much of last season were everyone in general just talking about, man, he kind of is getting roasted defensively. Mm -hmm. 
you haven't really seen that much this season. And I think he bought into the defensive end of the floor in the postseason last year. And I'll, here, I'll compare it to this. You know, Andrew Wiggins in the NBA, not known as a great rebounder for a lot of his career. All of a sudden, he goes on a postseason run with Golden State, and now all of a sudden, he's an eight-rebound per game guy. That's kind of what I feel like Jalen Wilson is defensively now, where having that postseason run last year almost showed him that, wow, if I work hard on the defensive end, all of a sudden everything else kind of opens up for me and I have a G league potential contract and I can go back and maybe have an all American season. If he kind of continues these numbers. So I think overall the pieces come together to fit. It's just a question of how are opposing teams now going to try and get past it. That's why I think the battle for Atlantis tournament is going to be fascinating because it's so many games in one stretch that are you going to be able to keep up that defensive intensity for three straight games playing back to back to back? I just think that's going to be a challenge. I think it's going to be interesting to see how they manage that. And guys like Joseph Yesifu, if they're not going to give you the spark offensively, like he hasn't really this season, does he do enough defensively to warrant minutes? And all of a sudden, if Joseph Yesifu is not getting minutes, all of a sudden you're looking at Bobby Pettiford and Dwan Harris really having to play a lot more minutes. And then can they keep that defensive level up over the course of a game and over the course of a long Big 12 season? I think those are kind of some of the questions defensively that I have because I think it's very clear what KU thinks of their team because of the style of play that they have, the creating havoc. Um, I do think this is probably one of the better havoc teams that yeah. Bill Self has had because I think a lot of times they play aggressive, but not take risks. Mm -hmm. This team feels a little bit like we're going to roll the dice here. I think Kevin McCullough had a couple of those times where he kind of just tried to jump in the passing lane, missed it. All of a sudden you got to rotate on defense. So that's not what Bill self teams have been in the past. They've been much more fundamental. Stay in front of your guy. Don't take a risk. And you've got a guy behind you this year. It seems like they're kind of more of a high gamble, high reward team. Well, if you have the guys who can do it, then like play to your strengths. And they clearly got that with, with him and Harris. So you mentioned, you know, Jalen sort of being on this all-American pace. And it's funny, the last two times this happened, Ochai and uh, Frank Mason a few mm. years prior, I, I mean, not just like having a good season, but in terms of being like, okay, this might be one of the best three or four players in the country. I, all of those guys made it known at the Champions Classic game. Mm. And I sort of wondered, okay, how sustainable is this? And then you fast forward to the end of the season, mm -hmm. all-American teams. So there's this sort of conundrum because Jalen had 25 and 11, 25, 11 and five. I think Lies. it was, but he shook 26 shots and he looked freaking exhausted by the end of the game. And so there's this, there's this, like this devil and the angel on, on each shoulder. It's like the angel's like, Hey, look at this. What an incredible season. The devil's telling me he can't do this all season long. That's not sustainable. So I know that's not sustainable, at least in terms of you don't want that. You don't want a guy taking 26 shots in terms of just like him being the alpha. He's sort of answering a lot of those questions. He is ready yeah, for this for sure. role. The team seems to be embracing him as as that guy. It's his team. Right. But do you see him being able to put up all American type numbers like this all season long? Can he be a 20 and 10 guy all year or is this going to come back down to earth a bit? I honestly think he can because he can cheat because of his offensive rebounding because he can get a two, a two and one where you get two points and one offensive rebound and yeah. you do it efficiently. I think the game on Tuesday was different because nobody wanted to look like they wanted to drive and score. Once Grady Dick left the game, like Bobby didn't look like he really wanted to. And Dwan isn't that guy um, at this point. 
And if you don't have a greedy dick out there, all of a sudden the floor does get a little tight. You know, KU doesn't have this, the floor spacers to against a team like Duke that's going to play a seven footer and then a six, eight guy at the three, probably in Mark Mitchell. KU doesn't have consistently the ability to continue to drive and do that. I think it's, that's why you saw Jalen kind of be like, all right, like, dang it, guys, come on. Like, let's, let me, let's, 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 and, and I think for him, that's what he was able to show is that, hey, he does have kind of that Ochai ability where at times last season, Ochai single-handedly won KU games. I think Jalen Wilson showed last night that he has that ability. Is it going to be pretty? No, but <laughs> did the team win in the end? And did he get the stats? Yeah. And those are the two things that really matter in this whole thing. It doesn't yeah. have to be pretty. He doesn't have to go out there and go, you know, whatever, you know, 12 of 15. Like he doesn't have to. Did KU win? Yes. Did he put up some crazy stats? Yes. That's all that. That's the recipe to become an all American. He, he might shoot under 50% from the field for the season, but if at the end of the day, Kansas continues to win and here, here's the thing for me, the three point shot. If he all of a sudden can make 33% and above, he will be an all American just because the efficiency numbers will be there. Yeah. I don't see him going over seven a bunch this season. I think he's going to have games where he's going to make three threes and then we'll have games where he makes one. And I think we'll consistently kind of shoot eight, a game, which just feels so weird to say, considering he's not Ochai, but he's just got that kind of demeanor about him that I think he can keep this up because I think it will get easier because not every team's going to have that same length. Well, it was so funny the way the game flowed on Tuesday where he was taking over, but then you can tell the fatigue starts to set in. Mm -hmm. Duke was clearly trying to make sure that Grady didn't get loose on the perimeter. And for basically the first 17 and a half minutes of the second half, he wasn't doing anything offensively and you could kind of see, okay, here's the freshman, like doesn't really know what to do. Doesn't really know how to get himself out of this funk. And that's when he took a seat on the bench. And I mean, throughout when he was playing, when he wasn't, that's when Michigan state sort of built their lead. And I think everybody was thinking the same thing. Jalen needs help. He cannot do this all by himself. And there's nobody else out there. Like I, Kevin McCuller took a few pull up 15 foot jumpers. I said, this is not it. This no. is not the offense that KU needs to be running. It isn't the offense they want to be running. And then with about 2.20 to go, Grady checks in and scores seven points, Michael, in the first in the next 78 seconds. And I think that was, to me, aside from Jalen's game in general, that was the biggest takeaway from the game. Mm -hmm. I don't care about Grady's final numbers. I really don't. The fact that a freshman can effectively be taken out of the game for the better part of 18 minutes, come back in and boom. Like he was that spark plug microwave that completely swung the outcome of the game. That is impressive. We, we see freshmen put up, you know, impressive stat lines and have really good seasons and really good individual games. But for him to go through that, to kind of go through that roller coaster mm -hmm. of a game of coming out, scoring early, then having a long stretch where you didn't do anything and come back in and effectively swing in the game for your team. That is some, that's, that's poise that you don't see from 17 year old kids in college basketball. It's a rational confidence is what it is. <laughs> yeah. It's a rational confidence. And it's something that Bill self talked a lot about at like big 12 media days when he spent probably eight, nine minutes talking just about Grady Dick. He's got one of the shortest memories of someone that Bill self has coached. And that's what Bill said. Like, mm -hmm. this isn't me like saying, this is what he think like this. He said it. He's got the short memory and that was on full display. 
And I think in that moment to, like you said, come off and all of a sudden just be like, all right, well, my time, here we go. I think the first three point shot really showed you that. Yeah, there was no hesitation. It was boom up in. There was no second thoughts from him. And I think that's who he is as a person and as a basketball player. It's so funny too, because you think about some of the guys that Bill Self has recruited that I would consider to be, you know, we don't know these guys, but you pick up on, is this a good dude? Or is he just kind of like, I really don't care. You know, Quentin Grimes was a good dude, but he couldn't handle the moment. Grady Dick is a good dude and he can handle the moment. And I think that's, what's kind of cool to see in a moment like that is this is a guy that's got a really kind of a bubbly personality and yet he's a killer on the court. And that's what you saw. Like the, the lob, the read on that was great. I just, everything about that stretch just showed I am not playing like a freshman, even though I am one. And I think a part of that too, is playing with as much basketball experience as Grady has had. You play at Sunrise Christian, you're going to play against great players. And he's played against a guy like Mark Mitchell in practice every day for multiple years. And I think that kind of showed. And it's super encouraging, too, considering this was game three. Now, imagine when KU goes to play Texas Tech on the road and if they need a big bucket, you know, Grady's not going to care. And it's not going to cross his mind that everyone's yelling at him and everyone wants him to miss. It doesn't matter. And I think that's, like you said, more encouraging than the actual just performance itself. It's the mental strength that it took to do it. And I think Grady's going to have, you mentioned not overreacting, but I do think Grady's going to have the best freshman season since at least Josh Jackson. Um, And I think he's going to have an Andrew Wiggins type of performance. I think he will drop 30 at some point this year. It's going to happen. He's going to catch fire and he's already shown he's going to score in spurts. Every game he has scored some of his points in spurts yeah. happened in Omaha, North Dakota state. And then again on Tuesday. And I think you're going to continue to see that over the course of the season. And that lends itself to having some of these insane, you know, 28 points on, you know, 16 shots, maybe, you know, something like that, where it's just efficiency wise is crazy. And I think that's kind of some of the, the hints of what you saw from him. No, I agree. And I, w- I want to get to one last basketball thing here before we mm-hmm. close with some football stuff. That The only freshman that we haven't mentioned so far in this conversation, MJ Rice, he didn't make the trip with the team to Indy. Okay, so what's going on with this kid? Because he had the back injury, didn't play in the first ex- or the exhibition game or the first game, comes off the bench. Uh, he looked pretty healthy to me in that game versus North Dakota State and then doesn't make the trip. So what's going on with MJ Rice and how does he sort of fit into this team? Well, I do think he was legitimately sick. Um, There is something going around in Lawrence and in Topeka and Kansas City. Uh, I I do know a few people that are ill right now. So the the sickness is legit. It's a guy that can't catch a break. Um, But I'll say this. You want to look at his past career? Three different high schools. Suffered a knee injury. Missed the McDonald's All-America game. Consistently playing at one spot has not been who MJ Rice is. He's a different type of personality. You know, here's a good example. When I was talking to him at Media Day, he refers himself in the third person. Excuse just, me? Yeah. Can you give said, me can you give me an example? Oh, yeah, yeah. I said, What what goals do you have for yourself this year? He's like, Well, MJ's got a lot of goals for himself. And I was like, Oh, okay. That's interesting. Wait a minute. He did that the whole interview? A couple times. He's worked really hard not to do it. You could tell when he met with us at the podium that he was saying, it seemed like he was focusing on, I think blah, blah, blah. I'll have to to put the audio somewhere. So that tells me that somebody in like media training is like, hey, dude, you got to stop doing this. 
Oh yeah. Oh no. And he did to another reporter too, over the summer. Like this is not the first time that it happened. So it's a, uh, he's just a different cat. And I think there's going to be times when I just think there's going to be weird stuff that happens. And guess what? This happens with players in college basketball and 18 year olds. So I think for me, it's just one of these situations where yes, he's sick. Luck has not been on his side. Um, but weird stuff happens and it, it shows by that the high schools, the McDonald's all American game, and just a lot of things that have happened over the last really two, three years. Okay. Well, uh, you know, kudos to anybody who made it this long into the interview, because that's a great nugget to end the basketball. Con- I mean, third person, that's uh that's fantastic. I may have follow-up questions for you in the next interview. Um, okay. I want to, I want to get to some football stuff and close out mm-hmm. here. Two games left on the schedule, Texas, and then uh, on the road uh, against K state. Jalen Daniels, are we going to see him again this season? I think so. I think you might see him on Saturday. We'll see. I think a part of this whole deal, the whole thing's weird. Let me start by saying that. The whole thing is weird. But you listen to what Lance Leipold said on Monday. He's been very reluctant to say anything. Like to the point where, you know, they changed the press conference schedule to go to Mondays and he admitted it in the press conference. I don't want to answer injury questions. Okay. On Monday, he went and talked for 45 seconds, 60 seconds, talking about Jalen Daniels saying that he's close and he's practicing and taking more reps. And it's going to be a day-to-day thing where they're going to see how the shoulder feels. And there are days when it feels good and he can throw a lot. And then there are days where it doesn't feel good and they don't want to risk him aggravating it. And I think it's just going to depend on what Saturday is. Is Saturday a day when Jalen wakes up and the shoulder's feeling nice and loose and ready to go? Yeah, I think we'll play. If it's not, then you shoot that you're in a position there where is Jason being going to play banged up with his kind of midsection, mid ab rib, whatever part injury, you know, he's taken two big shots in the last two games and didn't really practice on Monday. Ethan Vasco was the one that got a lot of the snaps on Monday and Tuesday. So I just think it'll be fascinating to see because I do think that Jalen could play on Saturday, but it's just so hard to say definitively because everything in this whole deal has just been weird. So that's a roundabout answer, but I do think you will see him again this season. So it's, it's weird because it's been so long since we've seen him that it almost feels like, I don't even remember what this team looked. I mean, I know they were good, but it's, there's part of me that says, do I just get to go back to those first five weeks of the season and say, well, that's who KU will be if Jalen Daniels is back in at quarterback? And that's an impossible question to answer. But if I just told you that he's going to start the, the, the last two games, you, obviously you don't know what he's going to look like, like how effective he will be. But if I just told you that he's starting, Jason Bean is not. How much does that change your expectation for Kansas or your optimism that they will win another game or potentially two. Man, can I at least see him throw the ball in a game first? Um, <laughs> but I also want to say this. I, I find it fascinating how things have changed. And obviously I think people look back at the start of the season with rose tinted glasses. Jalen Daniels was not good. The final six quarters before he got hurt. Mm-hmm. He wasn't. He was bad against Iowa state and was bad against TCU. He's completely like 50% of his passes. So first three weeks of the season, he was the Heisman contender. That's who he was. But the most recent time we saw him, he was not necessarily carving it up against two of the better big 12 defenses. And I look at Texas and K state and they're worse than I think TCU is defensively and certainly worse than Iowa state is defensively, but I don't know. And I think to some degree you have trust in Jalen's mental approach 
he does not make the mistakes that Jason B makes. Put it like that, right? Yeah. Jalen's not going to run out of bounds on a second and three and turn it into a third and seven. He's not going to throw the ball into quadruple coverage right before halftime and turn the ball over and allow the other team to go and you know, make a play against your defense. You know, those are the plays that Jalen makes. But what also made Jalen so special is some of the arm talent that you saw. He just had made special throws and throws that Kansas quarterbacks have not made in lots of years. So I think that two things can be true at once. I think Jalen Daniels can elevate the offense whenever he comes back. But I also don't know if you're going to see the first two weeks of the season, Jalen Daniels, A, because of rust, B, because nobody knows how much that, Again, what was reported by ESPN as a separated shoulder. Like nobody knows how much that's still lingering, even if he's out there. And Lance Leipold said he's never going to get back to, or never, not going to get back to 100% this season. I think that tells you everything you know about what's going to happen if Jalen plays. He's not going to be like he was the first three weeks of the season. So I think equally, K will be better offensively if Jalen plays, but I also don't expect him to look like he did early in the season. All right, last thing for you. Can... Kansas beat Texas without Jalen Daniels. If it's Jason being out there, how much of a chance are you giving them to beat the Longhorns? I think they can. I think they can. I think Jason Bean's been good in the home games, right? I think the, the road environment, you look at that, right? When it came down to crunch time um, against Oklahoma in that kind of second quarter period, when it was, here's your opportunity, man. Mm-hmm. Oklahoma gave you the lead on a platter. Can you go make a play? The answer was no. Obviously, his wide receivers didn't do him any help against Baylor, but it wasn't great. And then I think he came home against Oklahoma State and had the best game of his KU career. And so I think he's been better in these home games. And so, yes, I think KU can beat Texas with Jason Bean. One thing on KU's side is the cold. Texas last year went up to Ames in the freezing cold and got their butts whooped. And I, I don't think this is a Texas team that is still super resilient. Um, and so I think there's a pathway for Kansas to win this game. But I think it starts defensively. Can they tackle? Can they not miss 21 tackles against <laughs> Bijan Robinson? Good luck. It's as simple as that, right? Yep. And the answer to that is, yeah, good luck. And can you not get mauled by Texas offensive line that even though it has a lot, a lot of underclassmen now is an inch and a half bigger and 20 pounds heavier than KU's defensive line. It's a tough matchup, but you know, there's a pathway for Kansas to win. I think. Hey, this has been awesome, man. Let's uh, let's definitely do it again later in the season. I appreciate the time, Michael. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me, Nick. All right. Great stuff. Thank you to KJ. Thank you to Michael Swain. Thank you for tuning in. If you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, review wherever you get your podcast. I thank you so much for listening. Waving the Wheat, 610 Sports Radio, 435 Podcast Network, Apple, Spotify. We'll see you next week. Powerful as Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Ookla speed test intelligence data, fixed median download speeds, USQ3 2023. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. (laughs) Heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. 
spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Celebrate and save at Ashley's Anniversary Sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of colors starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep Mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details.